it starts with you because when you embrace your own uniqueness so will your team when you demonstrate self confidence self worth and your strengths they will feel the permission to do the same and when you tell your stories so will they at this intersection of strength vulnerability and uniqueness that's where thriving begins very powerful words of wisdom isn't it these are quoted by melissa box melissa box is a keynote speaker leadership coach and employee experience designer she is host of the wild hearts at work podcast redefining our relationship with work through stories and conversations with those challenging the status quo of today's workplace melissa is the former co-ceo of uh, scrum alliance with a background in leadership business and product development she is a former non-profit board member and having served on the board of directors for both scrum alliance and agile denver she was privileged to present at the 2020 world business and executive coach summit and at the 2021 women tech summit and has been featured in business coaching business agility emergence and authority magazines in fact we are privileged to have her as a guest in today's episode so before we get into the episode folks this is the guiding voice podcast series the guiding voice for a better future i'm your host navin samala just a fellow professional and a passionate learner on a mission to make the world a better place to live through the guiding voice we drive conversations that matter and conversations that add value to your life and to your career thank you so much for tuning in and melissa i'm super thrilled to invite you to the guiding voice podcast and really excited hearty welcome to the guiding voice thank you for having me this is going to be so much fun absolutely and i'm looking forward to this conversation i've been waiting and in fact we had to cancel this meeting couple of times because of personal constraints and however finally we are here and i'm so glad that we are doing it melissa so melissa can you share the top 3 things that have attributed to your success so far so so that our audience will get to know your success mantra top 3 things um that have contributed to my success i think one is that i have a tendency to dream really really big to believe that things are possible that might seem a little impossible at first um my parents were those types of parents that led you to think that you could do anything you put your mind to and i have held on to that um so i can imagine these really big things and then you know work hard to make them happen they don't just happen easily for sure i think the second is along with that comes a, an amount of courage that i have had to cultivate i wasn't born with you know an extreme amount of courage but through trying some of those big things and finding out that even if i didn't succeed in them i still survived still made it i still learned something um has led me to be a little less afraid to try things and even when i am afraid recognizing that i can just push through that fear and and try whatever the new thing is and then the third thing i think contributed to my success continues to is i just have an incredible support network I was very very fortunate to create a community of friends or find the community of friends who sees those things about me and doesn't see them as me being naive or you know silly but rather encourages me to follow you know 
those big dreams and follow that courage and they support me in doing that. Um, and so that has made all of the difference in my ability to, you know, see those things through to again, either success or failure, but we all mm. learn from both. Wow. So it is said that you are the average of five people. I think you are surrounded by some great personalities who have been a great uh, ecosystem for you. And uh, on that note, uh, yeah. So Melissa, I'm also curious uh, to understand and learn from you. What are the challenges that you have resolved as a co-CEO of Scrum Alliance? Because uh, Scrum Alliance has given a lot to the world and everybody look up to that as a an institute which actually has faced the world of IT, to be honest, right? Because Scrum mm -hmm. is something which is ruling the project management industry at this moment. So being a co-CEO, what kind of challenges did you face and how did you resolve them? Sure. Um, so first, it's important to just recognize that actually um, I spent two years at Scrum Alliance mm -hmm. and I've actually now been gone for over two years. And so the challenges are still pertinent, but I'm sure they're facing very different challenges now than they were when I was there. Um, but I joined Scrum Alliance as the chief scrum master and the co-CEO uh, in January of 2019. And the first challenge was that, quite frankly, as an organization who is the largest association for scrum practitioners and agile practitioners, there were a lot of things within the organization that could have benefited from more agile values and principles. They were actually quite traditional when I joined. Um, a traditional structure, a traditional way of working, more or less. And so one of the first challenges was just, you know, figuring out as an agilist myself, I had already been an agile coach for a number of years at that point. You know, how do I come in as a leader and help to instill those values, but do it in a servant leadership posture? And it took some time. It took some, some difficulty, um, but we were able to really embrace the agile values and principles in a way that I had not had the experience of doing in other organizations because I didn't have the authority yeah. and the leadership position to make sure that that happened. Um, so that was one way. And it was, it was fantastic. Like we had a wonderful time once we got past some of the hard initial things that most organizations deal with at the beginning. And then I'll say that the, the second and third challenges are probably just a double challenge, which was that I was also there for the entirety of 2020, which meant that in March of 2020, we were canceling the scrum gathering. We were trying to understand, you know, how to work. We already had sort of a remote attitude. We worked from home on Fridays, but how to work through a pandemic, you know, like everyone, we were dealing with that. And as an organization whose you know primary means of connecting with our community was through our classes that were in person, there was a major overhaul that had to be done to allow those classes to continue virtually, to allow our staff to understand how to support that and handle that and work with our trainers and with our coaches. Um, and so I'd say that that was the other big challenge that maybe encompasses number two and number three. Wow. 
I think these challenges will remain with us forever and they make us really strong. And Melissa, do you think this, why do you think agile adaption has increased in the last decade and a half? Like uh, if I talk about my agile journey, I got my scrum certification in 2010 timeframe. And at that time, businesses were not keen in terms of uh, adapting agile practices because uh, the you know, business owner slash product owner involvement was a must. But over a period of time, if you observe, the adaption has increased. So what do you think has contributed to the increase in uh, agile adoption? I think it's two things and not all good, unfortunately. <laughs> um, I think first, I mean, the the future that the Agile Manifesto designers saw coming has arrived. They saw that the speed of technology was increasing, that as technology sped up, so was everything else, right? The business needed to be able to keep up with these technology changes. And so that future has arrived. I mean, it's been here for a while. And I think the business, you know, the business world is sort of just catching up to that idea, as well as the idea kind of as a subtopic of that, that we it's not just IT that needs to be more adaptable. The business as a whole, including our technology, needs to be able to move with those changes. So I'd call that a win. I think that's actually a good thing. The businesses are starting to recognize that. The other side of the coin, I don't necessarily think is bad, but it has a shadow, is that once business started to recognize that we became an industry, it started as a movement, right? The manifesto signers were not setting out to start an industry. They were starting a movement of different ways of working. But once we saw that money could be made from it, just like anything else in our world, we collectively started to sell things like classes and you know, online courses and workshops. Mm -hmm. And I think it's great that the message is getting out there. What I do worry about is the dilution of the values and the principles that we started with, you know, that as we start to sell things more, we're less focused on, no, this is really what this was all about. And I actually, I have a keynote talk called the truth about agile Mm -hmm. and I talk about that exactly, about where this all came from, why it's important that we still understand those values and the principles and not just the check boxes of Scrum. Um, so I think the fact that we started marketing it and selling it is what increased adoption. And again, that can be great, but there's a shadow if we're only worried about selling things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And uh, Melissa, moving forward, uh, this talking about the servant leadership, this has been popularized as agile adaption has increased. So in your opinion, what is true servant leadership is all about? I mean, more or less it's in the name and that is service, right? Seeing leadership as not an opportunity to tell people what to do, but rather an opportunity to create an environment of service. At Scrum Alliance, I was very much of the mindset that my partner and I were at the bottom of the organizational pyramid. We were there to support our teams. We were very much a self-organizing model. 
and they had a lot of authority and a lot of power in their teams. And we were here to get things out of their way. And we very much embraced that. And I think it's very powerful because the opposite is the folks furthest away from the work in positions of power, making decisions and sometimes creating barriers, frankly. So I think true servant leadership is recognizing that your role is to, for me, my role was to be the leader that in some cases I didn't have. Mm -hmm. And in other cases I had amazing leaders who were servant leaders and like emulating them Mm -hmm. um, and and being that for them. Mm. Be the leader you wish you had. (laughs) This is the quote which (laughs) comes to my mind. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. That's great. And now let's talk about um, bridging the gap between leadership and employees. Some organizations do a fantastic job, but others still try to cope up with it. And what are your tips to bridge the gap? Sure. This is my favorite topic. So this is essentially what I do in my work um, is that I have now had the opportunity, especially through my role at Scrum Alliance, to be on both sides of that spectrum, right? I've certainly been an employee for you know a good portion of, of my career, but I also then had the opportunity to be in that quote-unquote top leader seat. And so I have an incredible amount of empathy now for both, for the, the teams and the employees, as well as these leaders who really... I am one of those people that believes that everyone is doing the best that they can. So even these leaders are doing the best that they can, but they can't always see each other. So, I mean, a couple of the things that I work with leaders on in bridging that gap is recognizing how to build trust and openly talking about trust in their organization and, and creating an opportunity for the teams to do the same for, for, folks in the teams to say, well, actually I'm having a hard time trusting because you tell me that I can make this decision and then you reverse it, you know, when I've made the decision or you tell me I can make this decision, but I don't have the information to make a good decision. Um, And the more that we can openly have those conversations, we are all just humans. And I think for so long, especially generationally, We've been taught that like leaders shouldn't admit fault and leaders shouldn't appear weak and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I just openly challenge that idea. Um, a leader is simply another role in the same organization. They're still humans. They still make mistakes. They still want to be liked. Even if they seem like they don't, they still really want to be liked. And so just helping everyone in this situation to kind of recognize their humanness and the humanness of everyone else, as well as recognizing that there are some generational, societal, cultural things that are creating that gap sometimes. It's not always, Um, but sometimes it's, you know, the leader is 25 years older than the people that they're working with. And sometimes they can take that as a, well, I'm better than you. Or they can take it as a moment to go, hey, you might know something I don't because, you know, you are in touch with technology in a way that I wasn't. So helping them to recognize those differences and acknowledge them instead of pretending that they don't exist, 
and missing an opportunity to maybe use them to our advantage in the relationship. And I'll say lastly, I think that's just it, is recognizing that even though it's not a one-to-one relationship, teams and leaders have a relationship. And those relationships need to be cultivated the same way that a one-on-one relationship would. We Mm -hmm. have to be intentional. We have to communicate. We have to build trust. Like It's all a relationship. Because Mm -hmm. again, we're human. Yeah. And and being open, being authentic, and also be vulnerable. Let, let people understand your weaknesses as well. That is uh, my key takeaway. And thank you for sharing that. Melissa, can you also talk about what companies should do to design this employee experience? Because two buzzwords in the industry today are customer experience and employee experience. Right. So you sure. are, you have been doing a lot on this employee experience part. So please share with our audience. Sure. So in my mind, um, it's very much related to what we were just talking about. Understanding as a leader mm-hmm. that when an employee comes into my organization, no matter what I do, they're going to have a human experience here, right? They're going to have the experience of being on my team, working with their peers, serving the customer, and recognizing that in that experience there are things that they need in order to perform well, but most importantly, to have a very human good experience. And so I have, when I talk about designing employee experience, I actually have a model that I designed that I use with leaders to talk about the things that employees need in that experience. And they're not what we always think about. They're not, you know, ping pong tables and snacks in the kitchen. although. That's really nice. (laughs) Mm. But what people want is they want to do well, right? They don't, I don't know very many people, if any, that come to work and are like, yeah, I just want to like hang out until the day's over and hope I still get paid. Like people want to do well at their jobs. And to do that, they need context. They need clarity. They need the ability to, to hone their craft, you know, whether that's marketing or coding or whatever. And they need choice to some degree, to whatever degree that that leader can allow that choice and the org can allow that choice. And if you get really high up on the pyramid and like really want to give them an incredible experience, employees benefit a lot from co-creation, from being able to co-create their role, being able to co-create the org itself, like how are we going to work together as a team? All of that co-creation helps them to be not just more engaged, but to have a very human experience as opposed to a robot experience where mm-hmm. we just expect them to you know, show up and do what we say. <laughs> <laughs> so those are the types of things that I work with leaders on when I'm coaching um, mm-hmm. and I speak on when I'm speaking is those are the real things people need. It's mm-hmm. not ping pong tables and yeah. snacks in the kitchen. Realizing that we are all humans and adding that human element to these conversations, wonderful. And Melissa, like you have done a lot of uh, certifications, and out of those, uh, the things that grabbed my attention are this DTL, day to lead trained, and then TBR, training from the back of the room, and uh, CLP, which is certified list practitioner. So, can you shed some light around these certifications and who can go? Who can offer them? 
Sure, sure. So um, starting with Dare to Lead. So Dare to Lead is actually a book written by Brene Brown. And it's taking a lot of her work from her research into vulnerability and courage and then applying it to the workplace. Um, the book is incredible. I've done a number of book clubs with teams uh, at organizations, but there's also a class. And I actually took the class twice. <laughs> um, I went to a public course by myself, like with you know a bunch of people I'd never met before. And I so thoroughly enjoyed the class mm -hmm. that I actually asked those same facilitators to come to Scrum Alliance and our entire company, there's like 60 of us at the time, did the class together because I felt that the, the courage and vulnerability piece, piece was so important, especially to where we were at the time um, in 2019. So um, that's Dare to Lead. So I'm not certified to teach it, um, mm -hmm. but I'm just called Dare to Lead trained because I've, okay. I've taken the course. Um, and you can go to Brene, Brown, Brene Brown's website. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if you just look up the course, it'll tell you, you know, someone in your area who teaches the course. Um, it was, again, incredible. I took it twice. It was so good. <laughs> TBR is Training from the Back of the Room, uh, also a book by Sharon Bowman. And this is a book about facilitating and leading and training. It uses brain science. And it's essentially about how we needed to move away from the teaching and training where I am the expert and everyone looks at me and they just take the notes of what I said <laughs> to, you know, I'm going to create, again, an experience through activities, through conversation. Um, there's a whole bunch of different uh, techniques that Sharon talks about in the book and in her class where I'm actually, it's, it's kind of like servant leadership for training. Mm -hmm. It's like, I'm placing myself at the back of the room. I am not the center of attention. I am creating an experience in an environment where people can learn together. And I'm simply just providing the information and designing the class. And there are a lot of um, agile oriented trainers who use this method. So most folks who are going to like in-person classes with a lot of the agile and scrum trainers that I know are using the TBR method. Um, so I took the class from Sharon. If I remember correctly, she doesn't actually teach it anymore. I think she's retired, but there are a number of folks that she had trained and certified mm -hmm. to teach it on her behalf. So it's also a great class. It's really fun because of course the class itself uses the method. So it's a lot of activity. It's a lot of drawing and fun. It feels like you're, you know, in school yeah. again, doing arts wow. and crafts sometimes. Mm -hmm. And then the other one was less. C CLP, Certified List Practitioner. Yeah. Yes. So um, less stands for large scale scrum. And it is a scaling framework. I would call it a competitor to safe. And it is a but I would call it much more organic than safe. It was um, designed by Boss Vade and Craig Larman. And I believe Craig still teaches it, the class. I'm not, I think Boss does as well in Europe. And yeah, it's just, it's a scaling framework of, of Scrum. Mm -hmm. I, I honestly just simply took the class once and I used some of the elements 
although I don't particularly subscribe to a one single scaling framework. Um, I am of the belief that you need to understand your organization and only apply the elements that you need in your organization so that we don't over prescribe frameworks. Um, Mm. But yeah, I took that class, I think in 2018 Mm. and then um, haven't particularly been super involved since then, but, um, but it was a very interesting class. I will mention I took it from Craig and Craig uses some really cool, like, Oh, I cannot remember the name of it right now. Mm-hmm. Ways of sort of drawing the organization and the communication patterns in the organization. So like literally drawing them almost like a, not a flow chart, but the connections between people mind, and the connections. Mind map kind teams. of thing. Mind map kind of. Kind of, but it's, mm-hmm. um, it's related to systems thinking. I think it's called systems modeling. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. But it's really interesting. And that was, I mean, it was fun to learn the less framework even more fun was to learn how to use that technique mm. for for drawing um mm. and like understanding what's going on in your in your organization so yeah so what i noticed from our conversation is uh, you have that uh, appetite for continuous learning you have been upgrading yourself from time to time and which is kind of truly inspiring let's uh, no, switch gears now talk a bit about your podcast wild hearts at work right so why did you start the podcast and who are the audience what kind of content are you creating so i started the podcast because in my role as a speaker and as a coach in the world i was hearing all of these awesome stories from folks that you might hear them at a conference But other than that, like these stories weren't getting out into the world. And Mm -hmm. every time I would hear one of these stories, I would think back to when I was sort of early in my challenging Mm -hmm. the status quo journey and how hearing these stories would, hearing these stories would have helped me. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. There definitely have been times in my journey where I felt very alone. felt like I was the only person who was like not interested in just doing what we'd always done. And of course that wasn't true, but it felt that way. And so a lot of my work in general is sort of like, I don't want people to feel alone. So I want to create community around, you know, the types of things that we're doing in our work. And so that's where it started. Um, And so, yeah, what I do is I, I bring on folks to talk about either things that they have done that are very different Um, very practical things in the corporate setting that are like not typical or topics that are not typical. Um, So I had a a woman come on. I don't honestly remember which season it was, but her whole, all of her work is around intuition and intuition in the workplace. And that felt like it was very much challenging the status quo because we don't talk about intuition in the workplace, right? Like people kind of look at that sometimes like, oh, that's too woo-woo, you know. Um, But the things that she said were extremely practical Mm -hmm. and they made a lot of sense in the workplace. And so um, that's to try to, the content that I try to bring on is either, again, stories of things that people have done, like hire differently or pay people differently or whatever, or topics that are usually kind of taboo in the workplace. Um, My highest downloaded episode episode was in fact the last one that 
came out at the end of season two that was social justice in the workplace. And I still, I mean, I think that one has been out for a year and I still get downloads every week. Like people are really Mm -hmm. interested in this particular episode. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, (laughs) moving to the personal side, like, you, why were you described as a spitfire, a calming force, and also an unapologetic rebel? <laughs> oh my! So those were three different people. I I'm I have that in my I think my LinkedIn profile because I thought it was kind of hilarious that in the span of it was probably the same month, and I don't mm. even remember. It's been a couple years ago now, but like three different people described me as that, and those all seemed me like they did describe me and at the same time seemed very contrasting so it was really funny um i spitfire i mean when people talk about a spitfire i think they just talk are meaning to describe someone who is like really dynamic and like challenging things and i don't know sometimes i think people mean that i'm hard to handle <laughs> <laughs> I, again, was raised by parents. This kind of relates to unapologetic rebel too. Like I was raised by parents who led me to believe that anything was possible. Mm -hmm. And so, in fact, I have like an averse reaction when someone says, well, I don't think that can be done. I'm like, I will show you it can be done. (laughs) Um, And so I think that's where some of that comes from. Like I'm just unwilling to accept things at face value if they're not good for people. Mm. And so. You know, if someone tells me like, well, this is the way we've always compensated people and this is just the way that it is, I'm probably not going to accept that. Um, I'm not rude or disrespectful about it, mm-hmm. but I I believe that like we wouldn't have the advances we have now mm-hmm. if people before us had just said, oh, well, that's the way we've always done it. I guess it can't be done a different way, you know? Um but that said, the calming force part is, you know, I am quite good in a crisis. Um, when we hit the pandemic, you know, at the beginning of 2020, I just felt my like, you know, emergency mode check on. I become very calm. Yeah. <laughs> I become very even. And I am able to kind of like navigate through a situation and then sort of, it's not that I am denying my emotions mm-hmm. but i'm able to kind of like hang on to them and and help through and then you know process a little bit later and so i think people find it funny that i can kind of be both of those people at the same time but we're complex we are very complex people <laughs> <laughs> quite interesting stuff and uh, great conversation so far Melissa, I would like to kick off a quick rapid fire round just to add some spice to the episode and also audience get a chance to know about personal side of you. Are you ready? I'm ready. <laughs> That's a spirit. Let's uh, go ahead. And here comes the first question. If you could have one gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, what would it say? Just do the next right thing. Just do the next right thing. Super. And on a scale from 1 to 10, how good are you when it comes to keeping secrets? (laughs) Okay. I have to actually like divide this. It'll be fast. But I am really like on a scale of 1 to 10, I am a 10 when it comes to keeping 
like people's personal secrets that they've trusted me with, right? Mm-hmm. On a scale of one to 10, I am terrible at keeping like good, happy surprises. Like my kids will like get their birthday presents two days ahead of time because I can't keep the secret because I'm so excited. But I am very good at keeping my friends like trust. Mm. <laughs> very interesting. And can you describe yourself in just one word? Hummingbird. Hummingbird. <laughs> and what is the weirdest thing that you have ever eaten so far? So I'm not very big on like, um, I'm not very brave with food. I'm brave with everything else in my life, mm. but not with food. So I would say that the weirdest things that I've eaten are just like normal things combined. So for instance, I'm going to get so much like grief for this, mm-hmm. but I put ketchup on my spaghetti. <laughs> like it'll have like regular tomato sauce on it, normal, but I will also add like a little bit of ketchup. Mm. because that's what my mom did and I just like it's what I do <laughs> okay and uh, what is the first thing that you notice about someone when you meet them their eyes okay and last one for the rapid fire given a chance to invent an electronic gadget what would you invent or if you are if you want to see an electronic gadget what would you do Mm. I want teleportation. So I want the gadget that they had, oh my goodness, in Star Trek mm. that would like they would tap a button and then they would just like appear at, you know, the place that they were like and maybe they had to tell the computer, but like appear at the place that they wanted to be like that. I want that. <laughs> it will save a lot of time and <laughs> a dream of many of the guests as well <laughs> all right that's exactly. a yeah great rapid fire uh, melissa with that let's flip back to the mainstream and what will be your one piece of advice to those aspiring to make big in their careers my one piece of advice would be well it was what was on the billboard <laughs> just do the next right thing. So just, I'll explain this really quick. Yeah, sure. Um, this actually came from the movie Frozen 2, the Disney movie. Um, but it's the idea that like you can get really overwhelmed by looking at, you know, the huge mountain that you have to climb, or if you're in school and you've still got three years left of college or whatever it might be. We can get really overwhelmed by mm. the hugeness of it. Yeah. And I really embraced this at the beginning of COVID where it was like, it seemed like there were so many things we could do and so many things that we should do. And especially when things are very uncertain, you're not even sure where to start. And so sometimes the next right thing was as small as sending an email to ask a question or It was as small as making a phone call, you know, and then when you do that thing, that thing will sometimes tell you what the next right thing is, Mm. right? But you just focus on taking that one step because we can become as humans like paralyzed Mm -hmm. by the immenseness of, you know, whatever problem that we are trying to solve. And that has become like such a, it applies not just to work, you know, it applies to everything. Yeah. Um, just breaking it down. I mean, really, it's what agile is all about. Yeah. <laughs> but 
you know, again, very applicable to, you know, in our house right now, we're going through like some decluttering where we're trying to get rid of stuff and, you know, organize our house. Well, we're just going to do this one wall or this one closet. And once mm. you've done that, then it gives you the the motivation. Mm. You kind of check something off. You feel accomplished. But sometimes it's like, oh, well, we did that one and we should do this other closet because it's some of the same stuff that we need to donate. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it just it strings you to the next thing, help yeah. you know what the next right thing is. And I think that's true for careers too. Very nice. I think it's uh, in line with continuous improvement and small incremental change, right? Awesome. Exactly. <laughs> awesome. And uh, how has been your experience being joined, uh, having joined as a guest on my platform? Ah, you have great questions. This has been very fun. <laughs> I resonate with you and uh, thank you so much. I enjoyed the conversation. A lot of uh, insights which uh, uh, will stay with me for a, quite a long time and uh, you're truly an inspiration. Thank you so much, Melissa. Thank you for your time and all the insights. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to host you. And uh, friends, that was our conversation with Melissa Box. And before we move into the trivia section, here is a request to you. Please subscribe to us in case if you haven't done already. Also, if you are listening to this episode on Spotify or Apple, and if you are not following us already, request you to follow. And if possible, leave a rating and review so that we'll reach wider audience. Also, if you have loved this conversation and found the episode useful, request you to share with at least three of your friends or colleagues who can benefit from the guiding voice. Thank you so much in advance. Now, let's hop into the trivia segment of today's episode. Today, we had an amazing discussion about how to bridge the gap between leaders and employees, about servant leadership, about agile and various other stuff. I thought I'll present you a few facts about the job-seeking patterns of millennials. You know, 67% of those millennials are seeking better or new jobs. And if you observe in the workforce today, diversity and inclusion are important to employees. Millennials are often after leadership development and wherein they are looking for an opportunity to learn, grow, and develop effective comm skills. And the facts about leadership show that these job seekers look at more than the compensation. They are now shopping for jobs that best align with their life goals and needs. And that's why they are looking for some leadership positions. Likewise, if you have come across any interesting patterns that you have observed with regard to millennial job shopping, Request you to leave a comment if you are watching this on YouTube or if you have found this episode on any other social media platform, leave a comment. I would be happy to review that. And that's all for today. Thank you so much for joining me, folks. Also, do not forget to share your topic recommendations and guest speaker suggestions either through social media or you can email me at theguidingvoiceforyou at gmail.com. I'm your host, Navin Samala, just a fellow professional and a passionate learner on a mission to make the world a better place to live through conversations that matter and conversations that add value to your life and to your career. Until next time, bye-bye. Signing off for now. See you all in the next episode with another wonderful guest.